Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Chris Pinchroti. Today on the podcast, we have a third uh, set of messages from when I was out of town on a road trip. This is from uh, June 18th, and this is our teaching team weekend, our first time we've done this. Uh, each week, I meet with our teaching team and get their input on messages, and we, we dialogue about theology and work to get better at speaking together. And so, Today's message is actually three messages around the subject of God as Father for Father's Day. Uh, first in this message, you'll hear from Noah Marmino, followed by Brandon Smith, and then finally closed out by Shane Lau. So you're in for a real treat. Let's go ahead and head to the talk. North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Day, everybody. Okay, so uh, my talk today is what's in a name, and uh, I'm going to borrow from Shakespeare. So uh, if you don't mind a little Shakespeare instead of Bible, then uh, you know we'll be good. So what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Every now and then, I find it helpful to consider the various names of God. Today, we're going to focus on Father's Day. I bet that was a, a given, huh, Father? Yeah. Uh, Father, biblically speaking, is a new one. Um, God is not called Father too many times in the Old Testament. Uh, when he is, it's generally referred to as like the Father of Israel. You know, it's like the founding of a nation, not necessarily like a parent, right? So uh, when Jesus comes around and starts referring to God as Father, he's, he's really shaking things up. He's changing everything. Uh, Matthew seven twenty eight through 29 says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. So Jesus taught with authority. And what that really is referring to is that Jesus taught them things that they hadn't considered or expected before. And in some cases, it would have been considered heretical in Judaism. Uh, He was ushering in a new era of life and faith and religion. And Jesus came teaching that God was not behind some curtain like like the Wizard of Oz, uh, but rather... uh, approachable by anybody, right? They didn't have to be the high priest to get to him. In uh, 1 John 4.16, we're told, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives, in, uh, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. We're told God is love. Like, that's a big deal, right? I appreciate this verse because it gives us a tangible way to understand God's essence, Jesus reveals to us the nature of that love when he calls God Abba, Father. I do not believe that Jesus is referring to the gender of God with this statement, but rather a role. God, Father, Provider, Protector, Counselor, Forgiver. Jesus gave us a relationship with God as a caretaker or parent rather than as a distant monarch. Romans 10, 15, and 17 tells us, For the spirit that God has given you does not make you slaves and cause you to be afraid. Instead, the spirit makes you God's children. And by the spirit's power, we cry out to God, Father, my Father. 
God's spirit joins himself to our spirits to declare that we are God's children. This verse really cements the parental role when it describes us as God's children. Some people have a hard time connecting with God in a parental sense, though, especially if they carry wounds from fractured relationships. Most of us, though, have at least one person in our lives that we look to for advice, for support, love, etc. I believe what Jesus is telling us by calling God Father is that God is like that person. God cares about you. God loves you even when you don't love God back. And that love is unconditional. So to wrap up my short talk, I want us to think back on what Shakespeare said and ask yourself, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Awesome. Thanks, Noah. Um, it's telling when I'm the most old school person here that I'm actually going to read out of a Bible. Um, <laughs> there goes the music sheets. Okay. Um, I'm going to read out the New Testament reading from the lectionary this week. It's in Romans 5, starting in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been made righteous through his faithfulness, Combined with our faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand through him, and we boast in the hope of God's glory. But not only that, we even take pride in our problems because we know that trouble produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. This hope does not put us to shame because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Who has been given to us. While we were still weak, at the right moment, Christ died for ungodly people. It isn't often that someone will die for a righteous person, though maybe someone might dare to die for a good person. But God shows his love for us because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, I'm in a unique position this morning to talk to you guys because uh, it is Father's Day and uh, when this idea was preached, I have kind of a sermon at series on the fatherhood of God. I was reluctant uh, for many reasons. The main one is, other than the other guys on the teaching team, I am not a father. How can I talk about fatherhood if I've never been a father? I have no context for it, unlike Noah, Shane. Mitchell, Chrisman, and the rest. I don't know what it's like to be a father. I've never been a father. I don't know what it's like to drive your newborn baby home going 25 miles per hour on the interstate because you're scared to death that you're going to break it like an egg. I don't know what it's like after a, to see those first steps walk to the baby's mom and you're just freaking out because... Your baby's actually walking. It's becoming a human. I don't know what it's like to come home from a long day at work and realize you have new artwork on the walls courtesy of your toddler. I don't know what it's like to, to be excited at your son's first sports game to be able to cheer and see him play ball. I don't know what it's like to see your daughter drive off with some teenage idiot on her first date. I don't know what that's like. I don't know what it's like to see your firstborn walk across the stage in a cap and gown. 
I don't know what it's like to walk your daughter down the aisle and give her away to some guy who is absolutely not good enough for her. I don't know what it's like to be a father. But I do know what it's like to be a son. I know what it's like to see that joy in your parents' eyes when you bring home your first A, when they get so excited. I remember my dad, the first day I came home from school, I was reading to him, you know, watch Dick run, watch Jane jump, you know. My dad freaking out because I was reading. I remember that feeling I got, seeing my dad's excitement at that. I remember hearing my dad and my mom cheer for me in my first football game. I was horrible at football. I was horrible. They thought I was the best in the world. My mom was ticked off that I was not quarterback. I was a 100-pound six-year-old, but yes, I was going to be quarterback. I remember being the fear that would overcome me when I would talk back to mom and she would say, you just wait till your father gets home. That fear would cripple me. And my mom's here this morning and she knows that's not true because if that happened, she would take care of it, trust me. I didn't have to wait for dad to get home. <laughs> but I remember that feeling. I remember the time I was a teenager and I was working with my dad driving his Dodge Dually in a hurry to get home, parked it by his workshop, rush in to take a shower because I was meeting a girl that night. There's, anytime you have a story with teenage Brandon followed by meeting a girl that night, there's trouble to follow. Just understand that. I got out of the shower. My dad was crying, crying in the hallway. I was like, what's wrong? He says, son, why is my truck in the pond? Because I thought I put it in a park, but really it got stuck in neutral. So, <laughs> in fairness, though, in fairness, it did not go all the way in the pond. It hit a couple of trees on the way down. So, in fairness, it wasn't always, always in the, all the way in the pond. I remember that feeling I got when I, that, that the disappointment in his face. I remember another time when I was in some sin that got exposed to the whole community when I was 17. And I had to tell my parents, and it was horrible. And the first thing my dad said out of his mouth was not anger, not rebuke, but let me pray for you, son. I remember that. I remember how I always feel invincible when my dad is there. Because my dad can beat up your dad. I know that feeling. And you see, I know what it's like when I've gotten myself into this horrible financial situation, buried myself in debt because I have no willpower. I know what it's like for my dad to step in, put himself in horrible financial mess, put himself into debt to get me out of it. And this is how I know what God is like, because God is like my dad. Your God is that same type of dad. See, I know who God is like because I have seen this passage of scripture that I read lived out in the life of my father. Because just like Jesus loved us enough to sacrifice himself while we were still sinners, 
He didn't wait till we were good enough before he saved us. He entered into our mess, into our sin, to sacrifice himself. My dad did not wait for me to be a good son before he was a good father. He was a good father when I was a bad son because he loved me. Now, I know some of you here, I'm not naive. Some of you didn't grow up with a dad like that. Your dad didn't look anything like God. And for that, I am truly, truly sorry. The words I can bring to you is even though you didn't have a dad like that, God is a dad like that. And he loves you unconditionally. And he does not care how bad you screwed up. He does not care how much sin you've committed. He loves you, and he will enter into that sin, into that mess to save you and to love you. I know it's a hard day for some of you who didn't have a good dad like that. I know it might be hard for some of you who want to be a dad but not are not. I know some of you miss your dad greatly. All I had to offer you is Jesus is still there for you. God has not abandoned you. He has not forsaken you. He is still there with you day after day after day, and he will never leave you. He will be the father to the fatherless. He will be the husband to the husbandless. And he is waiting patiently to love you even more if you open yourself to him. Just out of curiosity, I didn't go over this with the teaching team, so I'm sorry. I might be throwing them a curveball. But uh, do, is, are there any single moms here? Anybody at all? Okay. I just want to know, if you're a single mom, whether that be for whatever reason, you are not less than. Your children are not less than because they don't have a father. They have you. And God is going to honor you for raising their children, your children, without a father. And he will be a father to your children. Because, again, God does not hold our faults against us. He does not look at us and say, when you get right, then I'm going to step in to help you. God loves us while we are still sinners. And guess what? If you're a dad here today and you feel like you're not doing a very good job, guess what? God still loves you as his son. And he will help you be the father you want to be. Because you can't know what it's like to be a father until you've been a son. So if you're a dad here today and you're worried about your own fatherhood, rest in the love of God as his son. And let him be the father you can't be. I'm going to pray for you, and then Shane's going to come and close this out, all right? Father, you are a good, good father. I'm so glad we didn't sing that song this morning because I hate cliches. But you are. You're a good, good father. And a lot of us have baggage here from our own fathers. Some of us had great fathers like I did. Some of us had horrible fathers. Some of us didn't have a father. But you're a good one. 
and you don't care if we got all together. You don't care if we don't know how to be a good dad or if we don't know how to be a good son. You just love us, and you pour out your love on us continually. And, Lord, I pray for these people here today that they may receive your love in a new way, in a fresh way. Father, for us who are missing our dads today for whatever reason, Lord, I just want to speak comfort and peace to them. Lord, may you wrap them up in your arms and tell them that you are their father. You have not abandoned them, and you will never leave them. Remind them of that. Lord, for the single moms here, or the moms that got to do a lot of work on their own, give them the strength. Let them know that they are too loved. They are not less than. They are not missing out. Their children are not missing out because you are with them. And Jesus, may we all come together in your love and realize the good father you are as you help us be good sons and daughters. Amen. Good morning. Brandon's going to make me pick a curve on mine as well, but I'll keep it in time because I grew up without a father. In fact, I grew up with many men that came and went, um, and I grew up with a mom that worked three jobs that my grandparents pretty much raised me. Um, and looking back, I don't know how she did it. And I've always said, you know, I didn't have a male presence in my life. I had a lot of different men, but somehow I can see where my mother was my father. Every strong thing about me as a man today comes directly from her. You know, and so I love that you threw that out there, man, because uh, I come into Christianity with a lot of father baggage and then going into a charismatic church where I've had spiritual fathers. <laughs> you know, uh, they didn't pay the bills. They didn't feed me. They didn't give me Christmas presents. I just had to be their spiritual son. So I had a lot of baggage and a lot of people with this concept have baggage, but when Jesus introduced this concept, this new idea, it, it was revolutionary, as Noah pointed out. It was an idea that wasn't convoluted yet by our imperfections as people, by our imperfections as men and women. And that's really where this father concept becomes so controversial in our culture, even for me, because I project my father onto him. I project my insecurity on the helm. Some people do the ministry and they work hard as they can, thinking if they win enough souls to Jesus, if they're radical enough, if they're loud enough, that somehow God's going to love them more, He will bless them more, and they will be more. But the story of the gospel is the less, the orphans, the ones who are on the margins, the ones who are not, are the ones that He came. And I find this story, uh, I mean, I really uh, I don't want to get emotional because it's. It's been my journey for 31 years, trying to figure out who I am because I had nobody to tell me who I was or to point a direction. And to see a, a, a mom in, in a culture where, you know, still, you know, women do have it different in a little bit of area, especially when it comes to single parents because of the projections that get thrown on them why they're single parents. And so I'm going to echo what he said because it's so important. I know it's Father's Day. Is if, if you're a single mom in here, um, you're strong, and that's what you need to know. 
and your kids will be strong. And God is good, and he is a husband to those who are widowed. Even if it's because of divorce, it, it, it doesn't matter. You are strong, and God loves you. So thank you, Brandon, for making me go that direction. Cause that, that's a lot. So back to this concept and this idea of Jesus that he brought up as God as a father. You know, it's, it's pretty, to us, it's eh. But then it was insane because it was this God. You understand what we're talking about here, God. Trying to put God in this box of definition, something that we cannot even begin to comprehend. I'll be the first to tell you, I don't know what I'm talking about because I'm talking about God, something that we cannot comprehend. But Jesus brings his terminology to us, I believe, for a couple of reasons. One, it's because it's relatable. It's something that we can understand. It's something that we can mentally, we cannot put our mind around God. But Father, we can. And to have a Father that is God and wants to interact with you, wants to be with you, wants to invite you into his way of living, his way of thinking, is Jesus trying to tell an amazing story about who God really is. Because at that time, there was so much conjecture about him. Just like there is today. There's nothing new. And there's all this confusion about these topics, but this relatable but yet elusive topic of God the Father. That Jesus, you know, quite frankly, uh, I love the way he was about it because he just acted like we should have known this already. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't know this, like God. And it's, you know, and it's elusive because of the very reasons of that projection that we do. I project my father's faults on him, and when I'm disappointed, it comes back to, oh, of course, because it's me. <laughs> It's being a little real. Because I know we all have it. But I'm going to speed through this because I want to get to a point here of why Jesus is introducing this and why Jesus is just constantly hammering this, hammering this. And John tells us that Philip asked a question that was the question I think we all would ask Jesus. Jesus, could you just show us the Father? <laughs> he was saying all these parables, giving all these examples. But at the end of the day, can we just see it? Can you help our faith just a little bit to believe that God is this attribute that you're saying, that he is not almighty, Jehovah, he is not Emmanuel, all these extravagant, glorious things, he is Father. And Jesus replies back, and I can hear some, you know, sarcasm, because I'm very sarcastic, when he tells Philip, Philip, you've been with me this whole time, but yet you don't understand. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. You see Jesus, you see the Father. And that is what intrigued me. It's like, what does that even mean? I mean, I know the whole trap. I'm not a theologian. You know what I'm saying? I try to use theological words and sentences and phrases, but I, I don't know what I'm talking about. Just like Philip, who walked with Jesus physically, didn't know what he was talking about. That's how foreign this concept and how elusive this concept is. It's inviting on one end because we can understand it, but it eludes it, it us for some reason because it's almost too good. Because if the gospel gets too good, we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful if it's too good. But it's too good because we have too good of a father, too good of a creator. And so Jesus is telling us, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Jesus is telling us how to see, where to see, and how to understand so we can be. Be what? children. That's all God ever created. Not saints, not evangelists, prophets, teachers, and preachers, not Presbyterians, not Baptists, not Catholics. 
children. In the beginning, God created them. We are them, not Christians, not Muslims, not Buddhists, them. Our own divisions come from this, understand, uh, from this misunderstanding that we don't share our Father who is in heaven. He is our Father, every single one of us. And so this context that Jesus is driving home comes back to 1 Corinthians, I believe, which I love. It says, we look at this sun and see the God who we cannot see. We also look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. That, in, that, that to me, I'm, I'm OCD, so I get hung up on details. Sometimes it don't matter at all. But this struck me because I'm going, well, what is this original purpose? And I believe John records it when he records Jesus' prayer for us. What is the purpose of this Father that we see in the Son? Jesus prayed. This is the goal for all of them, to become one heart, one mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one heart and one mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The original purpose, Jesus is reconciling back to the Father. He's reconciling us back into oneness in him, in him, in him. Jesus is his capping that removes all these other distractions. He encapsulates the embodiment of God because in Christ, which we are in, there is no Jew, no Greek, no Gentile, no male, nor female, barbarian. It's just Christ. But can we handle that? Can we handle that it's just Christ? And in this encapping is the Father's heart and the Father's love, which is reconciling all things back to himself as a good father, as a good creator. So there is a purpose in this terminology that Jesus uses, not just to have another attribute or name of God. Like I said, I really, I really do struggle with this, and it means a lot to me because as a father, uh, I'm going to skip that. Well, I believe what God is saying through Jesus in this is he wants intimacy and affection. Ultimately, that's what a good father is. I mean, a good father is a lot of things, but... He is bringing this idea that intimacy and affection has come to us. Intimacy to know him. He is saying that we can expect God to have an intimate and affectionate relationship with his children, to spend quality time with us. To call God Father means then that he is near to us. He is intimately concerned with us and I believe even fond of us. God just doesn't like us or love us. He is obsessed with us. For God, the Father, so loved his children that he gave his only, only son to reconcile. So this image that Jesus is of the unseen God that has a purpose in it, that is reconciling the world, is bringing us to a place and to a purpose. And it's not to fill up buildings. It's not to be known as anything other than them in him. 
That's what it means to be a follower of the way of Jesus. That's what it means to be a follower of the Son. It's to see the Father, because to know the Father is to have eternal life. So what does that tell you? To know the intimacy and the affection of God the Creator is salvation, because every day it will save your life. It will save your emotions. It will save your mental struggles that you are having. It will save you. It will preserve you. It may not feel it, but it will. And so I want to end with this is, what is the image that we're being? We say we were in Christ, whom there is no anything other than Christ. What image are we being to the world? Are we being Christians or followers of Jesus? Are we being evangelists, titles? Are we being whatever you're a doctor, lawyer, whatever you're identifying in, the thing that Jesus is bringing us to and the question we have to ask ourselves, are we emulating, are we reproducing, are we really following the way of Jesus and being the image of the Father, intimately and affectionately loving those around us? Because in this room, when God looks down, he doesn't see checkbooks, he doesn't see names, he doesn't see anything other than them. We are each other. We are each other. There's no way around it. Your faults are my faults. Your goodness is my goodness. We are all the same encapsulated in this Christ. And it offends me sometimes because I want to be angry at my dad. I want to release some things. But when I look at my father, I see me because I can see his father. And I can see his father, and I can see his father. So today, as we go out, let's embody this, that he is our father. Mitchell's going to come up, and we're going to do communion. And I want you to really think about this before we do communion. Our father. Not American Christian's father. Not the Baptist father. Our father. And I know today is a, is a day that has mixed, mixed feelings for a lot of people. But like Brandon said, I love, I love the song they picked out this morning, Your Love is Strong. That's what it comes down to is when we're weak, the Father's love is strong. It will hold you together. It will bind you together. When you feel like you're free falling, you're not. And I know this because when I look at my four-year-old little daughter, and my two-year-old son and the craziness that they can create and how their world is this big, but to them it's this big. And I look down on their situation. I'm just going, <sighs> we're still children, yeah? Children of God. We don't have it figured out. Be secure in your insecurities because they don't affect you. They don't belong to you. They don't define you. This image of the unseen God, when you accept it and you adhere to it, it will fill you. And all that stuff kind of flows out over time. But it's when you follow the way, day after day after day after day, something begins to happen. You begin to change slowly but surely, and you will find yourself not isolating yourself, but engulfing yourself into them because we are them. Yes? Good.
Brandon, John. Oh, Mitchell, Brandon, Brandon.